This week, coming up first in the enterprise security news, a company called Radaflow is launching business-driven industrial risk analytics services. Checkpoint's delivering unified security management as a cloud service. We're already buzzworthy, buzzword-worthy already. Uh, NetScout enables streamlined monitoring and reduces risk through greater visibility across the network. Automox has raised $30 million and more. In our second segment, Malcolm Harkins will join us. He's a speaker at InfoSec World 2020 and a chief security and trust officer at Cymatic. We're going to discuss the rise of the cyber industrial complex and expense in depth. In our final segment, we welcome Wilson Batista. He's also speaking at InfoSec World. He's the founder of June Cyber uh, to discuss security orchestration um, but in the context of people, not technology. Stay tuned for all that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. The Viavi Solutions Observer Platform provides SecOps teams a powerful combination of comprehensive data for threat hunting and incident response that includes wire data analytics and enriched flow records. Using pure, unaltered packet and net flow, Observer presents views across the entire IT infrastructure with threat alert features including scope, impact, and advanced traffic profiling. Teams can use automated workflows to dive into high-fidelity network evidence and more quickly resolve issues, minimizing impact on customers, users, and business operations. Learn more about the Viavi Network Security Solution and download free resources at securityweekly.com forward slash Viavi. That's V-I-A-V-I. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome to episode 171 of Enterprise Security Weekly for February 5th, 2020. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian, joined by Mr. Jeff Mann here in studio. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to have you in studio. Uh, Mr. Matt Alderman is on the lines remotely. Matt, welcome. Thank you. It's cold, but it's sunny. So you get the little little halo up there. That's right. You get the halo going on. Uh, join us at InfoSec World 2020. Uh, actually, both of our guests for this show will be speaking there. It's March 30th through April 1st. Matt and I will be doing a Security Container Day. Uh, actually, if you're interested in uh, speaking or being on a panel to talk about container security, please reach out to us, uh, myself or Matt. Actually, just email psw at securityweekly.com. Uh, and uh, we'll get on that because we need to plan for that, Matt. We need to start in inviting people uh, to fill out the day, which is going to be I, awesome. I have, I've started. I started that last week. We've oh, got good. the base oh, so agenda did. laid out. Okay. I've, I've been reaching out oh, good. to good. Uh, a number of folks. Oh, but good. yes, I'll take anybody who yeah. wants to come. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really fun day. I'm super excited about it. So, 
Um, let's see, our listeners can save 15% off in InfoSec World main conference or World Pass by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash ISW2020. Click that register button and it will register with a discount code. If you want to sponsor a micro interview, uh, if you work for a vendor, security vendor, and are going to be at the event, uh, or have someone attending the event, you want to do an interview to tell the world about what problem you solve and why you do it better than anyone else. Make sure you go to the Security Weekly website. Is that the best place to do that, Matt? InfoSec World ISW 2020 landing page it's there. also yep. allows you to there. go there. Do that as well. Fantastic. All righty. Well, uh, we've got some news to talk about. Um, where do you want to start, Matt? Jeff? Uh, I, I, I would only go on a rant, so save me for later. Sure. Automox has raised $30 million. Is that their Series B or A? That it's their Series B. They series did B. Uh, oh, just under $10 million in a Series A awesome. uh, a year or so ago. This is their Series B. Some new investors, Coke, uh, Disruptive Technologies, the mm-hmm. Falcon Fund from CrowdStrike is in this round. Mm-hmm. They're working on some interesting partnerships with CrowdStrike uh, as part of the CrowdStrike store, uh, which is really exciting. So people who are leveraging CrowdStrike also want to do some patching. I, I believe that app's now available in the store. So this is their next round of funding to continue to awesome. grow sales and marketing yeah it's awesome um their product is just i mean if you need to patch stuff their product is perfect right and even scaling out to enterprises down to smbs i mean we use it here to secure our production environments right to make sure that everything's up to date on patches and it just it simplifies it and it makes it kind of like a no-brainer thing to uh to go in and apply patches which is awesome yeah i mean their their real claim to fame is look it's delivered from the cloud so it's really easy from an mm-hmm. infrastructure setup perspective. Linux, Macs, Windows supports all those systems across the board, so you don't need different patching solutions for different operating systems. They bring it all together in a nice, uh, easy-to-use interface, and boom, they made patching easy. It's great. Um, I have not heard of this Radaflow in their business-driven industrial risk analytics service. That's a mouthful. It is for OT networks, but we talked about this last week, Paul, right? I said we're seeing this really interesting uh, focus on operational technology, on these OT networks, right? We've seen some acquisitions. We've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of product announcements. Here we are. Here's another one. Everybody's going after OT. They see this as that kind of next evolution of where they can apply their uh, security technologies. I I had not heard of these people either, so this is all new to me. When, it, when is it a, a, a focus and not a trend, or a trend and not a focus? I think mm-hmm. it became both a trend and a focus after the second Ukrainian power outage. Gotcha. I, I, I really, truly think that. Uh, I mean, Stuxnet certainly played into it, but, yep. you know, that was largely an adversary <laughs> that, right. Right. Uh, that we were attacking, although some people cannot talk about it or confirm nor deny, um, but the evidence certainly that I've seen has pointed to, uh, you know, that highlighted uh, a lot of things. I think if you go back in time, um, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace, of course, uh, Mike Asante uh, actually did the Aurora project, which I didn't know Mike was the one behind uh, that did you project. learn that in one of your books? I did. Cool. I did. Because, like, I, of course, I knew of Michael's work and I knew right. of the Aurora project, but some, like, some of the books I'm listening to helped me kind of tie some of these pieces together, right, of yep. either details I've forgotten or maybe just glossed over because we cover so many stories in a week. It's nice to have these references, provided they're accurate. And if they're not, please, li- like, write in because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are 
people who are much closer to some of these things than, uh, than we are, of course. But uh, I think that's what, what started this whole trend, right? To bring it back to enterprise security, right? We've had these series of events that have been s slowly, sometimes very quickly, leading up to we need more advanced security practices uh, for our OT networks because, I mean, the gloves basically came off. I mean, Ukraine was really the two instances where the gloves really came off, right? And they disrupted power, right? And that um, we, and in the U.S., have to protect our infrastructure. And our infrastructure in the U.S., from what everyone is saying, is a lot more connected than other countries, right? right? So that means we need more, I think, more and better technology and processes, right? It's not just about slapping products uh, in your network and magically you're secure, right? But there uh, needs to be security on all of the different pieces inside of industrial Well, uh, I have a couple thoughts, uh, and I, I guess I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because every time I hear OT, I kind of feel like, well, that's been around forever. You know, IT was the yes. new thing the last 25, 30 years. There's always been OT. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, I, you know, I don't know if we're coming full circle or if we're just finally getting around to paying attention. But because so many of the OT systems are legacy and sometimes they are 25, 30-year-old systems, mm -hmm. the, the, the things that we're doing today in terms of security and IT, and you know, we were talking before going on the air, containers and Kubernetes and mm -hmm. AWS, that doesn't necessarily translate too well into the OT world. Well, so my estimation is still a lot of Windows uh, in, in use in, as part of the operational technology, right? Yeah. And that's, and, I mean, that's part of like... Probably XP or older in some cases. Yeah, and if you look at like, like the NotPetya, right? Very destructive worm, but yeah. it, was, it was really Windows focused and that was very much in some of these OT environments, including like Chernobyl, right. uh, systems were affected by that, right? Which is no longer an operating <laughs> nuclear power plant, but there are recovery efforts that will be going on for many years. Um, so that is one component that we, you know, that's common operating system we know how to secure how do we secure it in that environment where i think a lot of these other technologies uh well they can help hopefully with the windows problem i'm not sure exactly sure what irisk uh does comprehensive vulnerability assessment for ot networks on the windows side i, I don't know how it's uh you know other than connectivity how it's different but then when you translate that out to the firmware running on all of your devices that are PLCs uh, in similar SCADA devices, essentially, right? Right. Um, that's super important, too. Uh, we'll talk about it more, I think, tomorrow night with the folks from Eclipsium, John from Eclipsium. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about it because like, his favorite part of some of the uh, industrial control system hacking was they bricked the firmware on the Ethernet to serial converters hmm. <laughs> that were wow. connected to the equipment. So like, even if you got your management systems back up and running, they weren't able to connect to any relays to turn power back on because those other devices were broken. Well, so there's a lot of different components that go into when we say operational technology. Right. right? And, and, and those differ by sector and those differ by company. But I think you're touching on perhaps another interesting area in terms of you know a lot of what we deal with in, in the traditional sense is confidentiality if you think the you know the data security mm -hmm. triad whereas i you know i think it's safe to say most of the ot attacks have to do with denial of service there there isn't um, necessarily data to steal yeah it's yeah it's, 
it's a combination of integrity and availability. There is sure. definitely a denial of service component to it, but there's also integrity of what those systems are supposed to do where they can't create a disruptive right. attack. A right. So, uh, so attack. fair enough. So let's say it's integrity and availability. It's not confidentiality. And most everything is focused on confidentiality with the afterthoughts or the, you know, to a lesser degree, integrity and availability. When the focus is different, mm -hmm. I just wonder about how that impacts uh, the approaches and, and, and the, the techniques and ultimately the tools that are used uh, to, to Agreed, combat. Jeff. To your point, that's why you saw this whole new kind of market emerge. The big players weren't mm -hmm. going after some of this, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you had this whole new market of companies created like Dragos and Nozomi and, and Radaflow and uh, Indigy, et cetera, started to emerge to really focus on this problem. And I think the critical infrastructure protection uh, executive orders from the Obama days really highlighted this on the commercial side to an extent. You saw a lot of this market start to get created. But what you've seen is some very interesting acquisitions by uh, Forescout and and um tenable in this space. We see a lot more announcements around this. There's a lot more focus. Like I said, it, mm -hmm. you're definitely seeing it more in the news. Yep. Um, there was an interesting uh, article from, uh, this one comes from Threat Quotient. Um, I don't know if they had a particular product announcement, but I liked the, the title. I don't like the, the Sun Tzu reference because that usually doesn't work out too well in terms of, <laughs> in any case. But it says, if you're only focused on patching, you're not doing vulnerability management. I think this has been true for some time, and I think it's even more, more true today. Yeah, that was the, the one article I saw that I, I, if it's time for my little mini rant, yeah, yeah. not even just a rant, but I, I have been curious for a while why vulnerability management programs, uh, I'm seeing it with my customers, and it seems to be accepted common knowledge that vulnerability management starts with a vulnerability scan and and actually this article points to a, a sans white paper and i was reading that mm -hmm. and it actually says well vulnerability management program is all about the vulnerability scan and what do you do with the results and i'm like okay maybe this is where it comes from not to disparage sans but what i find fascinating is if you look at the get, get your drinks ready the PCI data security standard, there's an entire section labeled vulnerability management. Mm -hmm. It covers requirement five and six, which in PCI speak is requirement five is the antivirus, anti-malware, you know, keep your systems protected from, you mm -hmm. know, viruses, which are vulnerability exploitation usually. And then requirement six is where you get into keeping your systems secure through patching and having a whole patch management program, mm -hmm. change management program, uh, secure co coding, wire wireless firewalls, wireless testing, you know, mm -hmm. um, web app testing, so not wireless. Um, the, the vulnerability scanning in the PCI context comes a whole lot later in terms of the security stuff in requirement 11, all the monitoring and things you mm -hmm. do, which I think the intention in a PCI life cycle, if you will, is vulnerability scanning is a safety net. It's a safety check. It's, you know, what is, how well is your programs working for vulnerability management independent of starting with a vulnerability scan. But everybody starts with a vulnerability scan these days. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought, well, that's silly because you're always playing catch up. What's interesting is all of the major and even not major vulnerability scanning vendors also include a configuration auditing component. Yep. And 
it's hard to tell when either we say or we read when someone says a vulnerability scan if someone has like when we, you know used to work with Nessus, we, right. we all did right yep. we you, can all speak Nessus. we can all speak Nessus, and you go in and you go do these configuration on it and it runs it as part of your scan right? right right but i think there's a sharp contrast because you know how your credentials are configured right is part of you could lump that into configuration although mm-hmm. you could actually put it in uh, authentication and authorization right how your various applications or config if Active Directory, if you look at it as an application, one right. big gigantic application, a lot of configuration mm-hmm. in there, and then patching is is certainly part of that, right? right. Yeah, Which right. I think could also be an extension of configuration. I mean, because really, when you're looking for a missing patch, you're looking at the version number on a DLL. Right. I mean, it really just comes down to that's just right. an extension of configuration. So maybe we shouldn't yeah. call it. We should call it configuration management. This is the right? problem. This is the heart of the problem. Vulnerability management is typically equated to a CVE, which is what everybody does this, right? And if if you talk to an analyst, a financial analyst, they don't understand the nuances between vulnerability management and what's a vulnerability in the broader sense because you bring in points, Paul, configuration, weaknesses, Right. right? True true broad vulnerability management is not just the cve it's the cce it's the cwe it's all these components right but we but we bundle it into this thing and all the vuln management vendors think about the cve and how that ties to a patch but to the article's point look when you first start out all people want is a really closed loop patch management process to start with based on where they are in the maturity curve. I get it that the Vuln management program should do a whole lot more, but there's a lot of organizations that are just trying to get the basics down. And that means if I see a missing patch, can you make that patch easily applied and just close that simple little loop for me? Then I can think about all the other stuff, but people still struggle with the basics. But that's where I start to want to have a rant because to me, the basics are putting processes in place that are helping you that that I guess, you know, are leaning more towards configuration management Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. simply relying on the vulnerability scan. And yet, uh, the world seems to th- have normalized on vulnerability management starts with scanning, and that's the basics. And I don't think that's the basics. I think it's missing a whole lot of things that you should be doing Ooh, procedurally <laughs> to yeah. keep your system secure that take, in, take more things into account. Patching and even configuration management, if not done correctly, can leave you with two of like the greatest exposures in Windows networking today. It can leave you vulnerable to Mimikatz because mm. there is a recommended fix, but the problem is... An attacker who already has access to that system, right, which is why Microsoft kind of glosses over the Mimikatz thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. If maybe they still do today. Actually, they still do today. But um, that setting can just be reversed by the attacker. Right. And so, I mean, if you're not really truly paying attention to that attack vector and going through the extra mile, um, a latest version of Windows, I mean, there's a whole, we could do a whole segment on that, right? But right. the other one is the, you know, the Outlook homepage vulnerability that was addressed in a CVE. You could have applied the patch. However, the patch still leaves certain attack vectors that are valid right. for right. an attacker. And that, I mean, until the kind of, the, you know, the, I'm sure some people still haven't fixed it, right? But so the, cover so, that. So the problem is so many organizations out there that, believe that vulnerability scanning is the beginning, middle, and end of vulnerability management 
are left with huge vulnerabilities because they're not even considering so many other right. things. And it, right. I mean, to, it sounds cliche, right? But that's where the MITRE ATT&CK framework comes in. And as we use that as a guide to tell you really go by attack path and more technique and all of the things in the matrix is a much better guide uh, for you to... And I'm still working on my independent research project on the yeah, MITRE yeah. ATT&CK framework. Yeah. Stay tuned. It, but that will have you focusing more on the techniques that it could be a combination of patching, operating system upgrades, configuration, and monitoring, right, and right. detection right. that makes you more resilient to a Mimikatz-style attack as a good example of, right. that would encompass all of those it, things. It, it, you know, and, and I'm still in the early stages of trying to get my head around the, the att MITRE attack framework, but, you know, what I'm observing uh, is that, okay, you're shifting the your viewpoint or your emphasis on, off of vulnerabilities and onto the threat. Right. Which, uh, you know, covers a lot more ground, I, I think yeah. we would agree to. Ultimately, uh, I think that the MITRE ATT&CK framework comes down to, you know, I'm trying to skip to the end, the last chapter, okay, what do you do to fix? Mm -hmm. You know, so looking at the, the mitigation strategies, you know, what they're recommending in terms of how do you prevent all these different attack vectors, threat vectors, uh, uh, I think ultimately tie back to the things that we're talking about in mm -hmm. terms of process procedures and, and doing all this other stuff anyway. So it's it's another means to an end. And if it gets people thinking differently, I guess I'm all for it. For it. Yeah. I heard. I said it out loud. <laughs> Ooh. Um, you can quote me maybe later. Checkpoint delivers unified security management as a cloud service. I thought they did this already. They did ish. ish. Um, Ish. Yeah. What was interesting is if you look at their financial results um, that they just released a couple days ago, what's allowing them to continue to grow is actually aspects of this cloud service. That's mm -hmm. where they're seeing some some gains on the revenue side and, and actually allowing them to hit their numbers. So I don't know if this is a re-release because we covered this, I think, a couple weeks ago, Paul. Um, so I don't know what's different in this announcement than, than we covered a few weeks back. But there is definitely some momentum with their cloud solution that's actually helping them hit some of their numbers, and at least on the financial side. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with their product suite anymore. But you know, well, they've, they've made so many acquisitions over yeah. the past year. I mean, they've moved a lot of. You know, they've been buying a lot of uh, application and container uh, mm -hmm. stuff, similar to what Palo Alto's been doing, mm -hmm. right? So you're seeing the shift away from just perimeter firewalls to other capabilities, both of those vendors, uh, which is good. But yeah, their portfolio has expanded a lot. It's hard to really understand what's under the covers anymore. Um, Preempt had an interesting announcement. They are now claiming to be the first industry, uh, first in the industry to do real-time threat detection for encrypted authentication protocol traffic. I'm not sure what that means, but and we they, can follow up with our fine friends. There's not really a whole lot of detail in their announcements. Just a couple, no, couple I mean, that's pretty, points. yeah, and that's pretty standard across the board right you have to kind of dig yeah i mean so preempt conditional access right um therefore they're in, it looks like they're able to monitor some of the encrypted traffic in some of these authentication protocols that give them more capabilities for conditional access i think that's what this is saying hmm. but it's hard to decipher that if you don't know what preempt does initially well I'm reading into it, but if they're doing the authentication portion, it's pre-encryption, which gives them, I guess, a little bit of insight. Could be. But who knows? I I don't see how they're doing it based on what little's here. Yeah. 
Well, we can certainly follow up with uh, with the fine folks at Preempt. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we'll we'll talk about this in the next segment too. And I, I put one in here as kind of an example, and I I don't really want to pick on Essentire, but uh, you know when these companies release these reports that when they query their customers and their customers have been have had breaches. Uh, like where the, there's a gap, obviously, in your protection right. uh, software if your customers are still uh, getting breached. Uh, and Malcolm will talk a little bit more about that. But that's why I put that East Entire article in there um, about that. So this one doesn't seem as uh, blatant. They talk about the attacks their customers have seen, whether they were successful or not, or whether their time to detection was really short or really long. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't see in here at a quick glance. So. And most of this, I think we would instinctively expect anyways, mm. right? In some respects. I mean, if you look at kind of the summary, right? It's nation states. Yeah, we've seen that. It's organized cybercrime. Yeah, we've seen that. Phishing. Yes, yeah, still a big problem. Um, so I, I, there's nothing really surprising in here either. Right. So. Uh, StealthBits has a free program to help organizations mitigate risks associated with Microsoft's pending AD update. That sounds ominous, right? The AD update, not the program that they have. Uh, so it applies to nine Windows operating systems, aims to address a vulnerability that exposes Active Directory uh, controllers to privilege escalation scenarios. That's interesting. I've not read about what uh, the details are of those changes. Of course, We've talked about Active Directory a lot and still do as one of the number Perhaps one. Perhaps we should try to get somebody on that can talk about from that. Microsoft, from right? Microsoft, right? That would be awesome. Yeah. It looks like what they're doing is they're doing LDAP. They have an LDAP blocking functionality that mimics the update without actually needing to do the AD modifications itself. So it looks like it's kind of a virtual patch until this thing gets affixed by Microsoft in March. Gotcha. That's cool. They made it available for free, or free program. I'm curious what the nine operating system levels that they cover are. Right. And and how far back they're going. Because, mm. you know, seven's gone now. Nobody's got seven right. anymore. Or XP. Other nine, yeah. Is there truly nine left? Yeah, What? I'm, I'm curious what the nine are. Mm. Eight, ten... 2016 server. Yeah, <laughs> server, I don't right. know. I mean, <laughs> how many variations of that? Well, you know, service pack levels for each, if there is such a thing. Could I, be. Something to, something to think about and another research project. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, Qualys had some uh, announcement about actionable searching and data download with vulnerability management dashboards. Seemed like a very kind of uh, a minor update, but interesting nonetheless. I hadn't seen well, Qualys' dashboards in some time. Yeah, what, what it looks like is uh, they've created a query language that allows you to get the data out of these dashboards. This goes back to our previous conversation, right? This is very yep. vulnerability and patch-specific. This is very CVE and patch-specific. Interesting. It, it, but are these dashboards across the entire product suite? Would be a question for Qualys, right? Because Qualys does the configuration auditing, the web app scanning. 
They do. But when I see their screenshots, if you mm-hmm. look in the upper left corner, it says vulnerability management. That's mm-hmm. the module you're in on the Qualys platform. So this is their vulnerability management solution. When you click that little arrow to the right of VM, you get a big drop down of all, all their the additional, yeah. yeah, all their products. So I think this is very limited to vulnerability management. They'll probably extend this query capability into their other modules so that you will be able to pull data out from some of the other sources as well. What this will enable or create a havoc for is people pulling this data out to manipulate it outside of the vulnerability management solutions. And this mm-hmm. is where the TVM vendors and other people are probably like, ooh, I can get more data from the core right, vendors right. directly. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, so we're sort of back on the vulnerability management topic. And the one thing that we didn't talk about, but they address in this uh, as sort of a, a use case is Patch Tuesday. You know, all the companies out there that are relying on vulnerability scanners to do, you know, their patch management, um, that's sort of independent of Patch Tuesday. They Most of them know that they've got to do something once Patch Tuesday happens. And it seems like this is uh, maybe a way for them to prioritize, you know, because you get the Patch Tuesday releases, you have to figure out, which of these will apply to our organization. You have to do some sort of prioritization to knock out if there are any critical vulnerabilities addressed, which I don't think Microsoft necessarily advertises. The, you know, last month being an exception with that uh, crypto API vulnerability, but you don't automatically know with a Microsoft patch release, what are the patches that really matter and and more importantly, really matter to you uh, as an organization. Yeah, uh, that this that we while we're on the vulnerability topic, I mean, you've got the recorded future vulnerability report from 2019 saying, you know, Microsoft is still the biggest targeted list of vulnerabilities and exploits. Right. Not surprised. The enterprise. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. We talk about configuration and threats and and tools, tactics and and uh, procedures. Uh, is it procedures or protocols? Whatever the P stands for in TTP, but. Um, when it comes down to it, it, with Microsoft products, there's this kind of like, if there's a, I don't know how you put it in your risk models, there's a big patch, right? right. Like, you've really got to apply this patch because right. then, you know, things like WannaCry happen and, uh, you know, various worms and things like that. So there are like these core set of patches that like independent of looking at how your uh, doing with the MITRE ATT&CK framework, how you're doing with configuration management, how are you doing basically with identity management, right? I mean, right. some of the best uh, techniques we've seen over time and what some of the f- researchers that have written some of these tools that attack Active Directory will say is, like, basically don't have any domain admins, hmm. right? Like, tune that management of your domain, like, those exposures, tune it out of the system so you can still manage it, but without having users that have these certain permissions helps thwart a lot of attacks, right? You should do all that. But like when Microsoft has a big patch come out, you should really apply that. I don't know how you like <laughs> throw that in there, right? And right. that's what this report kind of made me think of was, yes, they're still going after Microsoft systems, but you know, maybe need to patch everything, but there are certain ones that you, that you do, right? Well, and, and you know, organizations have to prioritize. They have yeah. limited resources. They've got their day jobs to do, and and they you know they need to know. You know, in theory, they do this already through asset inventory, but they need to know which of the systems they have in their organization are 
uh, affected or need to be uh, updated with mm -hmm. the patch. But they also, uh, hopefully, they've got some idea of what's critical in terms of th their assets themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, some you know ones that are directly in, let's say, the card data environment versus you know some other part of the organization might want to do those first. You know, th so they have to, even though their intent is to get the patches installed, they got to start somewhere, and usually they want to start with their most critical systems right. first. But they need to know where they are, what they are, and, and which ones are affected. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is is a process that's not, you, you can't just throw these tools and say, yep, it's there, you need to do it, and then just go do it. And, up, you know, if you need to do 10,000 systems, which are the first 100 that you do? Right. And And I don't see these things telling them that they need to have a process in place that helps them to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. need to be putting the Windows firewall on every user desktop. Right. Right, I mean, that's, I, I, and all the pen testers, like, I mean, if you, if push comes to shove, and they're like, if there's like one thing people could do that would have a whole ton of impact, usually their answer is, if on their, like, even their user subnets alone, just enable the Windows firewall. Right. That way, if someone does get compromised, it's much harder for that to spread, at least on the user subnets. Right. Right. All righty. Any other articles in there that you uh, you guys wanted to cover? There's a few we, we didn't cover, but we're running a little short on time. Yeah, I'm good. My fault. No worries. <laughs> Outstanding. With that, we'll take a short break and come back with our first interview for the show. Malcolm Hawkins coming up next.